Jesus asked the question. Were there not nine, I mean, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? He's talking about some lepers that he had cleansed, miraculously cured and made whole again. In the history of civilization, there is no disease that has been more dreaded and loathsome, loathsome than leprosy. It has produced years of indescribable misery. The, de the disease advances slowly, but surely. The hair is bleached white. The body becomes a mass of scales and sores. The bones and the marrow are pervaded. The joints separate. The fingers, the toes, and other members fall off one by one leaving a body that is hideous and awful. And life lingers amidst this desolation, dooming the wretched victim to die piecemeal. And everywhere the doom goes, the crowds draw back, and they yell, unclean, unclean. God's regulations concerning leprosy is found in the Law of Moses in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Luke 17 tells us about this. And he's going by the borders of Samaria and Galilee, and then he enters into a certain city. And in this city there are ten lepers. And they must just have to live together, because they're isolated from those who have not leprosy. And when they see Jesus, they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. And then we read that when Jesus saw them, he said, Go and show yourselves under the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus said, Go and show yourselves unto the priest. We said that in Leviticus 13 and 14 are provisions for those who had leprosy, the Jews. And it was required that those with leprosy and who thought they were cured, had a remission or whatever, were to go to the priest. They were sort of the medical examiners. And they were the ones who were to decide whether the leprosy was cured or, or not. And then they offered certain sacrifices. But there were ten lepers. And when they saw that they were cured, one of them, stopped and went back and fell with his face before the feet of Jesus and said, thank you. We're told that the Greek is a present tense participle, which means that he did it over and over and again. And the Amplified Version says that he thanked him again or over and over, but he was the only one who did it. And Luke tells us, he was a Samaritan. And for the Jews, uh, they didn't expect much more than that, or didn't expect that much from a Samaritan. And sometimes we expect more from some, and we expect less from others. And we are surprised in both cases. But here was a man who stopped the only one 
and gave God thanks. Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? It's a question of gratitude. And it is most appropriate question for us today. Ingratitude is one of the blackest and most despicable of sins. In Romans 1 and 21, and I suppose we're all guilty of it, but in Romans 1 21, it describes the, the wicked who forsook God. And three times God said he gave them up. They were ungrateful. It characterized the rebellious people described in 2 Timothy 3 as being in the last days. And God is warned against ingratitude. His prophet Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12 and 24, Only fear Jehovah and serve him in truth with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. And I suppose if any of us or anyone would just pause and consider the great things God has done for us, it should fill up our hearts with gratitude. And we would be willing to reverence and respect God and to serve him out of gratitude. To feel grateful is a duty. And ingratitude is one of the worst of faults. It reveals an absence of one of the requisites of a noble character. Who doesn't want to have a noble character? But we cannot have it without gratitude. Let me give you several examples of how men express ingratitude to other men. Later we'll show examples of man's ingratitude toward God. But right now it's from man to man. And we think about Laban, the father-in-law of Jacob. Laban showed no appreciation for Jacob's long and faithful service. How long did Jacob serve Laban for his two wives and his cattle? Twenty years. And Jacob was deeply aware of this ingratitude. And he commended, commended to his wife Rachel and his wife Leah. And you know that with all power I have served your father. And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, was sold down into Egypt as a slave. And then he wound up in prison through no fault of his own. And while he was there, the chief butler and the chief baker were put into prison by Pharaoh. They had two dreams, one each. God gave Joseph power to interpret those dreams, and they both came true. But he said to the baker before he left uh, to be restored to his service to Pharaoh, uh, the butler, I'm sorry, to the butler, he said, don't forget me. When you see Pharaoh telling him about me being here, and I shouldn't be here. But this ingrate forgot his benefactor. We think about Moses, with the power and the guidance of God, was able to liberate the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. Later on, these Jews who were freed were so unappreciative of their freedom 
that they were almost ready to stone their emancipator. And what about David? He was a fugitive. King Saul was trying to kill him because he was jealous of him. But two times he spared King Saul's life. He had an easy opportunity to have killed him. He'd already been anointed to be his successor, but he wouldn't do it. But the ungrateful Saul did not reciprocate. He continued to seek the life of David, returning evil for good. One other example is one of the sons of David, Absalom. Absalom was so unthankful of his father's blessings that he endeavored to undermine his father's kingdom by stealing the hearts of the people. Later, he took part in a coup d'etat. In fact, he led it, instigated it, and then lost his life. We say, what, un, uh, what selfishness and what ingratitude these men had. Well, in saying that, let's think about ourselves now for a little bit. Let's think about some examples of ingratitude that we may express one to another and fail to express gratitude. In the church, the elders and deacons, Bible class teachers, our song leaders, those who prepare the Lord's Supper, those who clean up the building, those who do maintenance work, those who lock up the building, turn off the lights and see everything's in proper order, last one to stay every time. The one who takes the money and gives an account for it and puts it in a bank and pays the bill. These are things that go on all the time and it's all done without pay. Are we grateful? And if so, how do we show it? Well, at least occasionally we ought to tell them we appreciate the good work they're doing. What about being grateful to our friends and to our neighbors? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 that love does not behave itself unseemly. That means that kind of love will not have issue from it unkind remarks, sarcasm, sharp answers, quick retorts. In business, it just does not pay. And if you're in business, you know this. And if you're not in business and you do business with people, you know it. During World War II, uh, back in those days during the war, there were certain items that just weren't available because of the war. One thing that comes to mind, my dad had a variety store. And I think then women's hose were all out of nylon. You got the nylon from Japan or the Far East, and you couldn't get it during World War II. I think later somebody invented rayon or whatever other things they make ladies' hose out of, but uh, they wouldn't have it. But customers would come in, they'd like to have it. And, you know, other items that were just hard to get. And instead of saying, well, this is just one of those items we can't keep in stock. They just don't send it to us. We've got it on order. And as soon as it comes in and you still want a pair, I'll call you. I'll give you a ring. We appreciate your business. But no. Too many clerks would say, don't you know there's a war on? (laughs) Well, when you hear that. It sounds like, well, you stupid person, why are you coming in here asking for that kind of a product or that service? Don't you know there's a war on? And I can imagine that there were many a customer who silently and secretly 
vow never to come back and pay business where. That kind of a slogan was used to cover up a lack of courteous service. Don't you know there's a war on? There was a man who had the job of finding, tracking down people who had insurance uh, money coming to them. They didn't know anything about it. He said this was a thankless job. He had to find beneficiaries of unclaimed equities for life insurance company. And so after tracking down many of these people that didn't know they had money coming to them, very few thanked him. He kept a record of it. He said out of 465 people that he found and gave them a check that only 5% thanked him. We're talking about ingratitude. What about our homes? Christian homes should be where there is a spirit and an atmosphere of courtesy. We hear such expressions as thank you and please and may I. Surely the ideal home is where the husband and the wife are courteous to one another. They're considerate. They're thoughtful toward others, toward their children. Let me talk about the husband and wife just for a minute. In A.S.M. Hutchinson's novel, If Winter Comes, there is described a scene of ingratitude on the part of the wife. Mark Saber manages his work in order to return home for a half holiday. In order to delight his wife, Mabel, with the unexpected pleasure of their companionship. But on his return home, he encounters only a frosty displeasure, questions as to why he's returned home from work at such an unusual hour. There's no understanding, no appreciation of this thoughtfulness, no gratitude for his eagerness to enrich the lives, the life of their home. I remember preaching on things of this nature one Sunday. The next Sunday morning, as we were driving up in the parking lot, church building, the deacon brought his family, and they parked right next to us. And I was getting out of the car, and I noticed he jumped out of his car, almost ran around, and opened up the door of his wife. And I was smiling. I was thinking to myself, boy, that must have been a great sermon I preached. Did I get him to respond like that? And sort of sheepishly said, well... The handle on her door is broken and she can't get out. <laughs> At least he didn't ever crawl across the seat and get out on his side. But too many times we underestimate the value of small, everyday attentions. In fact, that's what marriage is in the long run. It's a series of trivial incidents. It was, Saint, it was Edna St. Vincent Millay who put it this way. Tis not love's going. Tis not love's going hurts my days. But that it went in little ways. I suppose if we were to go to Reno, Nevada, where six days a week, week in and week out, they issue divorces on the rate of one every ten minutes. And if we were to talk to those unhus unhappy husbands and wives, 
Do you suppose how many of those marriages were wrecked upon the reef of some real tragedy? I would say few. I think we had learned from the husbands and the wives that love went in little ways. Let me talk to the young people for a moment. You can express affection to your parents in unmistakable terms. But actions speak louder than words. Love is something that proves itself. We manifest our love by our actions and what we do. And fathers and mothers rejoice to see the manifestation of their children's love for them. A little boy with ruffled hair leaned in the doorway worn and gray ruffled head rather let me start over a little boy with ruffled head leaned in the doorway worn and gray I love you mother he kindly said then turned and ran aside to play his mother tired with labors long continued working till at last his sister with a smile and song slipped gently in and wandered past I love you mother she whispered low then turned aside to leave her there with eyes that could not see her woe and heart that could not feel her care. Then last of all there came that way her other brother kind and true. He had no words of love to say, no noble speech of praise to do, but quickly took his mother's broom so she might sit and rest a while and cleaned and tidied up the room and rocked the baby with a smile. Where not a word of love was said, how do you think their mother guessed that night when all were safe in bed, the one who really loved her best? Ah. Well, young folks, <clears throat> gratitude is also expressed by taking your mother and your father into your confidence. Who really has a greater interest in you than your parents? And they may not always show it. They may be a little bit hesitant. Afraid you might feel that they're being nosy or inquisitive. But parents, and young people listen to me closely, have certain responsibilities before God in raising their children in the chastening and admonition of the Lord. Read this in Ephesians 6 and verse 4. And so they need to know about your whereabouts and about your associations and what you're doing. But otherwise, let me say that failure to enjoy their interests and their friendship is an expression of ingratitude. And as long as our mother and or our father is living. We can show gratitude to them. T.B. Larimore put it this way. He said, Take my withered hands in yours, children of my soul. Mother's heart is craving love. Mother's growing old. See the snows of many years crown my furrowed brow as I've loved and petted you. Love 
and pet me now. Now let's notice a few Bible examples of the ingratitude of man toward God. And we turn to the nation of Israel. Even though especially blessed as God's chosen people, they forgot God. In Deuteronomy 32 and 18, Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that gave thee birth. And we turn to King Saul again. When he was weak and obscure before he became king, he was a grateful servant of God. But when God elevated him to the place of being a king, gave him a place of power and fame, he forgot the source of his blessings. And prosperity often begets ingratitude. Some have to drink the bitter dregs of poverty and disappointment before they can learn to appreciate their blessings. Are we not all guilty? Man seldom ever appreciates the well, the well, until it runs dry. Well, with much appropriateness, we'd like to ask the question, but where are the nine? We are the recipients of thousands of blessings from God. James 1.17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. And Ephesians 1 and 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. These are blessings that we have from God. He's the source. But where are the nine when it comes to giving and expressing gratitude? We often forget the hand that feeds us. The majority live on the level of hogs, which eat the acorns under the trees without ever looking up to see the source from whence they came. When men are raised, for example, from life-destroying sickness, occasionally one remembers his vows and comes to give thanks to God, but where are the nine? A preacher kept account of all of his visits for 20 years. He kept account of the people that were sick and he visited, and many of them he preached their funeral, carried them to the graves. But many were recovered. And of the 2,000 in his record keeping who were in the immediate prospect of death and who gave evidence of a change of heart, wasn't that Sunday last that we talked about uh, deathbed repentance? Well, out of those, out of these 2,000 who were at the point of death and who professed true repentance, only two out of 2,000 by their future lives proved that their repentance was sincere. 1,998 returned to their former Carelessness, indifference, and sinfulness. That's just another reason why I don't believe in deathbed repentance unless it's a child of God. Because it violates God's law of pardon, primarily. But when men are saved from danger, 
perils of the perils of the sea, the fire of an enemy soldier, and I've heard many times about foxhole deathbed repentance. Or death which stalks the highways now and then. One comes to himself and lives a life of praise to God. But where are the nine? No thanksgiving. No appreciation. God has given us life. And he's given us six days to work. But what have we done with that other day of the week? How do we spend the Lord's Day in urging gratitude for the first day of the week? A Chinese preacher told this parable. He said it came to pass, a man was going to a market, having a string of seven large coins. And seeing a beggar crying for alms, he stopped and gave the poor man six of his seven coins. And then the beggar instead of being grateful, crept up behind his benefactor and stole the seventh coin also. The preacher went on to say, what an abominable wretch. And yet, in saying this, some condemn themselves. We all receive from the hand of the gracious God six days, and yet some are not content. The Lord's day they also steal. When disciples meet for worship, where are the nine? When the contribution plate is passed, where are the nine? In the soul winning campaign of the church, where are the nine? Forgotten promises, no life of praise, no gratitude. And how different from the early Christians of the first century. You remember the Apostle Paul? Being saved caused him to feel that he was a debtor to others who also needed to be rescued from their sins. In Romans 1, beginning at verse 14, Paul said, I am debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. And as as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel also to you that are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is revealed the righteousness of God. From faith unto faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 